Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Well, good morning, North Shore. How are you doing? Good job. It was, it was awesome. I don't know if you, how many of you ever worked with pottery or clay? Ever done that? Oh, man, it's, a, uh, it's amazing. Um, uh, so uh, I really, really appreciate it, Jan. And uh, I just want to uh, acknowledge a couple of things. First of all, online, as Damien said in announcements, we saw 15 people uh, become members this last weekend. You know, it's just incredible. But um, many of them are people who are watching online for the last couple of years and decided to step in and... Uh, be part of what we're doing. So, you know, sometimes we see these cameras and there are people on the other side of that, people that are engaged, grown in their faith. Um, and so you guys are family, love you, glad you're here. Um, you know, glad you are here today as well as Super Bowl Sunday, right? I mean, it's like, I think you get a little extra star, right, in heaven for showing up at church on Super Bowl Sunday. Good job. And our brother Alan uh, here, Gardner. Uh, Alan, um, his wife, Lois, um, about a month ago, had a pretty severe stroke. Um, so she's in the hospital. I don't know if she's watching or not. If she is, Lois, we love you. Praying for you. It's good to see you, brother. Um, so keep praying for Alan. I, just, uh, I love that you, you're here with us today. Uh, so we are continuing our series in the uh, book of Ephesians. And we're studying this book with Paul's charge or his call to us to walk a worthy walk uh, out of uh, Ephesians 4, 1. And just what does that mean to have a worthy walk? So it's been great so far, the messages. Uh, today we're going to talk about art. <laughs> and I'm probably the least qualified person, just so you know, to talk about art. I was that kid that I would make something, and when I would bring it home, uh, you know, my mom would have this look, like, hmm, okay, well, thank you. And we'd take that mess, and then uh, uh, I would see it on the shelf for just like a day or so. Um, and I noticed late in life, um, we could never find those uh, pieces of art, just so you know. <laughs> I think they're recycled. I don't know. Um, but, you know, as you think of art, I don't know which artist you think of, but one of the greatest artist is Michelangelo, right? Uh, some of you traveled to Europe, uh, to the Sistine Chapel and seen his painting. Um, uh, his statue of David is actually classified as, I think, the number two uh, greatest piece of art in all of world history. It's a magnificent piece uh, of David. It's a 17 uh, foot tall statue. Uh, he sculpted it out of marble, and the details incredible. Is it? It gives us a whole different picture of who uh, David was, because we always have this you know, this little boy and a little slingshot, and usually in Sunday schools we learn about this. But Michelangelo just brings the beauty and the power of David alive in this uh, work of art, the statue of David. So if we look at his masterpiece and we think about these masterpieces, we're brought to who is the greatest artist? And you know the answer, it's the original artist. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. 
The original artist is God himself. The ultimate artist is God. He created in those days of creation, those first five days, we see this work uh, and he creates it. And after each day he looks at it and he says, this is good. This is good. This is good art uh, that I'm making. But on day six, he creates, creates man, human. And then what's he say? He looks at man and earth, the life that he's creating. He says this, this is my masterpiece. This is beyond good. This is very good. This is very good. You were created a masterpiece. God's words, very good. So as we step into Ephesians chapter 2 today, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get that to you. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. And what Paul's going to do here is he's going to guide us and teach us how to get back to that masterpiece that is us. How to walk to a masterpiece. So let's look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. Let's pray, uh, and we'll read that together. Father God, you are good. We love you. And you do not only good work, you do very good work. You are the ultimate artist. And so God, what I pray is that you would do a good work in our lives right now. You'd make our minds, our hearts soft to what you have to say. And we'd allow you to shape us into the person you have us to be, the masterpiece. So be with us now. We offer ourselves to you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So look at Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll try to read this chunk of scripture together. Starting at verse 1, we'll end at verse 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carried out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as we start looking at this, to really appreciate the beauty of a work of art, you must know where it came from, how it started. And, and, and Paul is going to point that out to us in pretty strong terms. 
If you think back to Michelangelo and the statue of David, the block of marble that he used to sculpt that statue um, sat for 35 years. Two other artists prior to him came to it and they looked at this block of marble and they said, this is no good. There's too many blemishes, too many different veins going through this. This will never work. First artist left. Three years later, another artist came, saw it and said, well, I, I'm going to try. He starts chiseling, trying to work at it. Lasted, I think, a year and said to say, this is too blemished. There's nothing good here. This is to be thrown away. It's a bad piece of marble. <laughs> this is what Paul starts with, with us. We know the story of David. Something comes out of that. We'll see it in a few minutes. But what Paul says in the first three verses in two, he's going to point out our, what I'm calling our ugly beginnings. Our ugly beginnings. He says that you are, we are dead in our sins and trespasses. And then he's going to tell us that we are caught up in this sin. So we look back at what does it mean that we are dead in our sins? What Paul is doing is he is telling them uh, about where they came from. And he's taking them back to the garden, the Garden of Eden. Remember, there God put in the middle of the garden the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you will surely die. Well, uh, Satan, right, the prince of this air, as Paul states in there, he comes, gets to talking to, to man, Eve and Adam, and he's chatting there. And through that conversation, right, uh, they take the fruit. And what happens, exactly what God said, here's the penalty of that. They are separated from God outside of the garden. And that's what dead means in Scripture. Dead means separated. So anytime you see that in Scripture, ask yourself this question. What are they separated from? Well, they are separated from God, from God's spiritual life, the life that he offers. Man can no longer access it. They're dead in that. Romans 5 tells us this, that as sin entered through the world, through this one man, Adam and Eve, so it passed to all of us, something that you know is the original sin. You've heard that phrase. It's like the seed is in there. The DNA has come, and God is holy and beautiful and pure. No sin could be with him in his presence. So Isaiah 59 says we are separated, dead in our sins, all mankind. So now as sin enters the world and we are in this dead state, that sin also catches us sometimes, gets a hold of us. It ends up taking a life of its own. And you see here in those first three verses that Paul talks about, you know, you have the passions of your flesh and, and that goes into the desires of your body and your mind. So sin, uh, it, it has this attraction and this appetite that catches us and leads us to death as well. It's attractive. James chapter one it says it well. Uh, James 1, 14 and 15 says, sin entices us. It entices us. See, here's the thing. Sin is fun. And that's the problem with it, right? Sin masquerades itself as life. 
you'll go sin and say, well, that feels good. The price of sin, the separation of sin is something that you feel over time. Because what sin does is this, as it entices you, it's fun, it masquerades as life. It keeps asking more and more of you. Its appetite is great. It pulls you in. It consumes more and more and more. And as James tells us, ultimately leads to death, separation from God. It kills what God intended to have life. Just a picture of this. Uh, You see it in Genesis chapter 3 when Eve is talking to Satan. And what he does, he starts talking. He says, did God really say that you'd surely die? Didn't he say that you'd be like God? I mean, he's enticing her, right? You'd be like God. And you'd see things like God. And she saw. And if you look at Genesis 3, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, it says this. It says, then she saw the fruit was good. He enticed her in. So she saw that and it was enticed by, whoa, this is good. I might see like God. I might get the things I desire. I'm going to have, I'm going to have this different experience. And it just pulled her in more and more, and it led to separation. An illustration for uh, some of you, maybe the guys will appreciate that more. I've done a lot of coaching, so a lot of my references come back to coaching. So in baseball, okay, I'll give you this picture of Sim. In baseball, there's a base runner, right? So in this story, the base runner is Sin, Satan. The pitcher is you, Okay. So the base runner, what you coach, is you want them to steal bases to get closer to home to score to win the game, right? And so what you do that's 90 feet between those bases, what you teach your runners is don't steal 90 feet. Don't steal the whole thing. You'll never do it. What you've got to do is bait them in, entice that pitcher. Make them feel comfortable. So, you know, you, you take a leadoff. You see that leadoff there, right? Boom. And you guys all seen if you watch baseball, they look at you, they stare down, you know, fake, you, know, you run back, right? Watch them the next time. They'll come back. They'll go a little further, just a little bit, right? Almost not even noticeable, right? Almost not noticeable. So when the pitcher gets up there, well, I'm focused. I'm kind of having fun up here. Like, eh, yeah, you're a little further. No big deal. No big deal. You know, he might fake him out. But what Satan does, what sin does, it tries to take as little as possible, but it keeps taking, keeps taking. Then all of a sudden, when your guard is down, you're comfortable, bam, it takes more than you want to give. And it begins to win. That's what sin does. It has an, a, an attraction and an appetite once it gets there. And we are all born into it. It's entered the world. It's all around us. So this is the bad news. This is the ugly place, state that we start. But like Michelangelo says, when he came to that block of marble and it was dead and broken and ugly and everybody said, unusable, he walks up there and he's quoted as saying this. He says, when I saw that block of marble, he goes, I saw a statue I saw David, and it was my job to free it. I need to free David from that block of yuck and death and ugly beginnings to who he's supposed to be. 
And that's what God does to us. And this next point becomes as we walk to be in a masterpiece. We have to come to a place of our awakening. From that dead state to a state of being alive. And I tell you, it's one thing I love about the gospel so much. And if you've been around me a lot, you know this. These are moments that I just, yes, uh, to watch what God can do in someone's life because of what God did in my life. I got saved. I came to know Jesus at 24 years old. So what I have is 24 years of my life, me doing it my way, watching people around me. I didn't know a lot of Christians. I wasn't in a Christian circle at all. And I watched it, watched it lived out. And then when I met Jesus, you know, he freed me. You know, I feel exactly like that block of marble that was just junk and thrown away for 35 years. For me, 25 years. And then Jesus came and freed me. So I love this. And I pray for you that God would free you. And you would have an awakening to who you're to be, the beauty of the masterpiece, that is you. So as you look at being awakened to that, uh, let me read verses four through seven. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So what he's done is he awakens us to life. It says that he has made us alive with Christ. Alive with Christ. And what that means is, is that we have the life that Christ has. He raised us up, seated us with him in the heavenly places. And anytime you see that, what Paul means by that, Paul says that in different places through the scripture. He means everywhere God is, everywhere that God has power, everywhere Jesus is, everywhere that Jesus has power, you are with him. You have the full life that Christ has. It's been given to you. I've made you alive. I've made you alive. And as we look at this, I just want to give us a glimpse into what that looks like. Because really, um, the Gospels, the whole New Testament, is about you being alive. Right? So we could read every single verse. It's all about that. But just a glimpse of this life that we have with Christ. See, he freed us from death to life. 1 John 3.14 says, we have passed from death to life. And not just any life. So it's not like we just slipped across the finish line. No, John 10.10 says, we have been brought into full life, abundant life, he says. The fullest of God that we have, we have crossed us. He has made us alive to that. He has freed us from being an old creation to a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. What that means, he says, he has freed us from the weight of the old world, the death of sin, the judgment of sin, the bondage that sin is into a brand new creation. 
you are made new. Do you feel new? Do you feel brand new? That's what he did. He says he did that for you, Romans 6, 4, so that you could walk in newness of life. The masterpiece that you are. He freed you from that. I love it. He freed us from despair to hope. From despair to hope. One of my favorite verses, Jeremiah 29, 11. God talking to his people. And they're worried and they're scared. They're going to go into captivity. He says this. I have a plan for you. Don't ever forget this. Whatever your journey looks like, do not forget this. I have a hope and a future for you. I've got a plan for you, and it's a good plan. Don't despair. Have hope. Psalm 30, verse 11, states it this way. He has turned our mourning into dancing. He has turned our mourning into gladness. Because of the new life we had and who he's created us to be, it makes us want to dance. If I had rhythm, I'd dance right now, but I will not do that to myself, okay, or you. Do you feel like dancing? Does that describe your life right now? Because of what he's done, what he's doing in your life, do you feel like dancing? Has your morning Return to gladness. He says, Yes. He frees us from weakness into strength. From weakness into strength. Philippians 4:13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What does he say we can do? What does he say you can do? All things, do you believe that? Yeah, be straight with yourself, yes. Can you believe you can do all things? That's the strength he gives us. He says, I make you alive. This is the calling out from that broken state. We were made alive with Christ Jesus. Do you feel alive? If I hung out with you, but I say, boy, this person's alive. This person has something pumping inside them that's incredible. I want what they have. They obviously have tapped into something that the world has not tapped into. Does that describe you? Are you alive? So it goes to the next place. Okay, I want some of that. I'm hoping that you're there. Like, okay, if you're not there, like, I want that. How do we get that? Uh, we need to be awakened to salvation. We need to be awakened to salvation. And this is a, a scripture. If you don't have it memorized, I encourage you to memorize it. This is scriptures that you'll see on walls. You'll see tattooed on people. Um, because it's one of those cornerstone scriptures, in a sense, that in itself tells us everything we need to know. Right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no man may boast. 
For we are saved by Christ and Christ alone, as Scripture tells us. So we look at this Scripture, and there's some key things that we have to understand if we're going to be made alive, if we're going to be freed from that stone, that bondage that is death and sin. We have to understand grace. We have to understand faith. We have to understand Jesus. So it says you are saved by grace. What is grace? You know, I was just thinking through, what, how would I describe grace? You know, uh, you'll look in the Bible dictionary and it'll say unmerited favor. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. Um, uh, I was thinking it, 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 it's a free invitation to a party that you don't deserve to be invited to. With that, it is a free invitation to a party that you should not be invited to. You don't deserve it. But it's a gift. It's a gift. I was thinking um, uh, back in my early days, um, I'm going to age myself here, okay? Some of you will say amen. Some of you think, boy, that, he's an old guy. But a story is... Um, when I went to college, most of you know I grew up poor and up in the mountains, okay? So I'm a freshman in college, and I'm there working away, and then uh, I get uh, turned toward this thing called a debit card. Didn't you know what that was? They didn't exist. They just invented them, just so you know, okay? <laughs> so, huh, okay, what's this? So, you know, um, I, I applied that and uh, said, good. She says, oh, it's just like a check. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I don't even know. So you go to these ATM things, and you get that, and you get your money out. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. Now, dumb Scott, okay, just go with that. You guys, can, uh, any amens out there? Um, I thought it would stop giving me money when I was out of money. But they hadn't figured that bug out yet. So I was the richest freshman in college ever for a while. For a while. And then finally they got a hold of me. Because remember, cell phones weren't invented. It was really hard to get a hold of people in those days. And I was living large. I was like, wow. I wasn't a Christian, but I would have believed in fish and loaves or something. I'm thinking, I, I swear I only had 50 bucks in there, but whoa. Uh, so they finally got a hold of me and asked me to come in. And I was really broke. Really broke. And they put these service charges on there. Any bank people here? Can we have a talk about service charge? I think that's unbiblical. But anyway, we'll go there later. Um, but the deal is this. I was in a bad way. You know, I was just scraping along, poor kid, trying to, trying to you, know, you know, better myself and get through college. And now I'm in real trouble. But I had future parents-in-laws. Okay, Sandy's parents, who are like my parents, loved this. Uh, and they came in and paid it all. Did I deserve it? No, I was a knucklehead. Yes, I was from the mountain, but that's not an excuse. I was hoping you would buy it, but I can see your eyes. You weren't buying it. Um, but I didn't deserve it. They gave me grace. So it takes grace. It's free from God. And it comes out of his heart of love and kindness and mercy for us. So we have to understand grace. It's a gift, and we have to accept it. And we have to understand faith. Faith. Uh, and I think faith is, um, it's one of the most simple words, but it's so complex. So complex. And I was just studying like crazy, thinking, I really want to get this. And I'll be honest with you, um, 
I think it's such a big, powerful word that you can't really grab it totally. But, but, but here's my best shot. Hebrews 11 one actually gives, this is what grace is, Scripture says. And I, I like that, and it's good, but I think it's still not that better in Scripture. Some things, like okay, how do we live this out? And I would just say this. It is a, a confidence in a belief and a trust uh, in salvation uh, in God and God alone and you cannot do anything to save yourself. It's this place to say, God, I believe in you. I trust you with my very life, all aspects of it. And I can't do anything to participate in this salvation. And, and that's hard, right? Because as Americans, as people, humans, uh, who do you trust most on this earth? Yourself, right? Man, if, if somebody is self-made, yes. One of the biggest industries in the entire world is the self-help industry. It's about us. So the idea that we would look at something that says we are going to have confidence and a belief and trust something to save us that we have no part in is so counter to our old nature. It is hard and difficult. But know this, God, God loves us. So this, he says it's not by works. Well, why not? Because I'd sure like to have a say in it. And I think it's part of God's love for us. And works is the good deeds, the good thoughts, the good person that you are. But here's why it's in faith and faith alone. It's for your peace, for your security. Can you imagine going around and say, if I am nice enough, I might get into heaven? Do you know most world religions, uh, the followers have no idea if they will make it into eternity? Christianity is the only world religion that says it's not in your merit. It's on this man, Christ Jesus, we'll talk about in a second. Because what happens is if I'm good enough, well, if I give enough, right, then all of a sudden Debbie gives a dollar more than me. Like, oh, I'm out, right? That wasn't quite good enough. You know, I'm not as nice as this person. I'm not as smart as that person. You know, it is put you in just this wreck. And God says, I love you more than that. I love you more than that. I want you to have peace. I want you to have security in who I am and who I say I am and what I said I've done. Be at peace. It's not about you. Now there is a partnership. I call it a partnership. An overflow that good deeds and you know we might call them fruit, works, James chapter 2, right? It, it asks us, it says, show me your faith without works and I'll show you a faith that is dead. Well, isn't that a contradiction? The answer is no if you understand it. If God is gonna come in and make you a brand new creation, change everything in here, right? Guess what's gonna happen? That will find its way to the surface, the Christ-likeness in you will begin to find its way to the surface. That's why God calls us, not to judge people, but to check people's fruit. Do I see Christ in you? If I don't, 
What is that? Slip up? Mess up? Are you living off works? It's about you. You haven't surrendered to Jesus and the beauty that he's doing. So what I say, it's a, it's a partnership, it's an overflowing is why it's faith and faith alone. But also it's this. There's a, a pointing that happens. If your salvation depends on me being good enough, boy, that is pretty limited power, right? And if I'm going to make it about me and, you know, maybe even my practice, even my good stuff I do, be like me, be like me, um, that is limited. There's no power in that. That will not save you. There is only one person that can do that. And that's Jesus. And so what happens is when it's not about works, what it's about is pointing to him and says, no, no, don't look. it's not about this, not about how good we do here, this, anything. It's about him. It's about Jesus. And that's the last thing. You have to have grace. You have to understand faith, but you have to understand Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5, very clear. There's only one person that can bridge that separation, that death. And it says it's the man, Christ Jesus. It's Jesus. Acts 4.12. Only one name, by one name that we are saved. That's Jesus. Jesus alone. Romans 5, I already quoted part of it there, but it goes on in verses uh, 18 and 19. It says, as sin has entered the world by one man, also by one man, righteousness comes, being right with God, death being dealt with, judgment being dealt with. And that man is Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus alone, only him has the power to save that's why Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is one of the most powerful scriptures you can understand because it points to Jesus and Jesus alone. It brings you to a place of peace, brings you to a place of understanding grace and how much he loves you. And it calls you into saying, I trust you with my life, Jesus. I trust you with my life. And that work that he does, he starts chipping away. And all of a sudden, all that ugliness, all that sin, all that death, all that separation is dealt with by Jesus on the cross. Because he pays our ransom. The debt we owe, he pays. Because the penalty of sin is death. He pays it on the cross, dies for us. He sheds his blood so that we would be washed clean, forgiven of sin, so we can be in the presence of an all-powerful, holy God, and he can guide us. And he goes to the tomb, right? Easter celebration, three days later, rises again, defeats death so that we can have life and have it abundantly. And what happens? He does all that chip and all that work, and what is freed is the masterpiece. We get to see the reveal, I put it in your notes, of God's masterpiece. Who is God's masterpiece? You are God's masterpiece. That blank right there in your notes, whether you're writing notes or whatever, write your name. Scott is God's masterpiece. 
write your name. I want you to sit with that for just a second. I mean, this stuff preaches pretty easy from up here, but it lives and it doesn't sink real deep often. Do you believe that you are God's masterpiece? Do you believe it? Look at verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that word workmanship, some of you have different translations. What you're going to notice, well, mine says craftsmanship. Well, mine says masterpiece. Well, mine says poem. I love the original Greek language. You can see the, the, the tension in this. They're all good words. The Greek word for workmanship there is poemi, which we get our English word poem from. Poem. So what Paul is doing, he is pointing toward this idea that the artist is at work in us. He is creating. He is making us a poem, a masterpiece. And what is a poem? I looked at the definition of that, and I saw this great definition. I said, a poem is a beautiful grouping of words to tell a story to provoke emotion. So some of you that love poetry understand you can read it and just draw something deep out of you. That's what God's doing. He is taking you and your life and all the things he has for you. And he's bringing it together. And he's going to tell his story through you. So these are the good works that he's talking about. The things that he has for you. The life that he has for you. You are his masterpiece. Josh quoted earlier, Isaiah 64, uh, uses the, this, this picture that he is the potter. We are the clay. We are in his hands. And so he is shaping. And if you've been watching Jen do her work, you know, there's, there's, there's taking away, there's removing, right? That she's bringing out this beauty in this clump of hardened clay all of a sudden rises from that wheel in an absolute beauty and wonder for us things that I cannot do I don't, the bad artist I'm watching a good artist and watching that wheel just rise and take shape, it's like it's good stuff, that's you that is you he's the potter we are the clay I love this. These good works, this life that he has for us, this masterpiece. He said he planned it before. Before the foundations of the world we talked about in the first chapter of Ephesians. See, when I was in there, this is him being a proud papa. Look at my kid. Look at them. How many of you have had a child and that child has just done something that just screams out your values and who you are as a family. And man, you say, look at 
you know, in, in the sports world. I remember, you know, my daughter, um, she, I, I coached softball. She hated softball. Hated it, her freshman. She'd get up there, stand in the batter's box, and cry and not move the bat at all. She's the easiest strikeout in the world. I said, Dad, I hate this, but I knew her. You know, I, I knew who she was and what she was capable of. And this is bad parenting advice. I'm just going to tell you right now, okay? So, uh, guys, strike this from the uh, record. Uh, I'll never confess this. Um, but what I did is um, I bribed her. It's true. <laughs> I said, I'll tell you what, girl. And this, it was a lot of money back then, so give me some credit. So I'll give you $100 if you don't quit. I'll give you $100 if you don't quit. Dead, 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 right? Um, I said, I know you. And this girl went from crying in the batter's box as a freshman to an all-state softball player her senior year, right? And not because of me, um, because I knew who she was and the values uh, and the characteristics and what we poured into her. I said, you live that out and you watch. And I just loved it. In fact, I still have that article. If you're around, even that was a real proud pop of them. I don't know if you saw it coming out of me, right? Uh, <laughs> It is, and that's what God is with you. We're his display. He's proud of us. Look at them. Look at them walk in faith. Look at them trust me. Look at them. Look at them. Because when you look at them, you see me. When you look at the art, you always see the artist. You will never look at the statue of David and not see Michelangelo. So that's why he wants us to walk to a masterpiece. So today I want to invite the band out. What are our next steps? What are our next steps? Isn't that a beautiful statue? Just the details. I love that. It starts with this. Is you have to see yourself as God sees you. It's hard, you know. world's a tough place. We've made a lot of mistakes. We feel like that block is not worthy of the sculpture coming in and doing its work that we should just be left alone to rot and die. And God says, no. I see you. I see Scott. And my job is to free it. So do you see yourself as God sees you? Starts there. You have to believe that the ultimate artist is doing a good work. Then it comes to this. You have to be pliable in your creator's hands. If you've watched Jen up here doing her work, um, when that clay is soft and pliable, she just, with the lightest touch, just touches it, and that pot just changes shape. It rises, it expands, it becomes something beautiful. But when it's not pliable, it's hard living. God wants you to be pliable in his hands. And I love this. As he is down there, he has made a promise that he is going to be personally involved, intimately involved with you, his hands on you, shaping you, giving his son for you. And he says, I want you to be pliable. Say yes. Let the Holy Spirit soften your heart. I think it's one of the hardest things for us because we were taught and trained to be self-made people. Christian faith is really good up here. Really good. But boy, being here and then out here, we struggle. We really struggle. 
But God says, that's where it's at. That's where the blessing's at. Trust in me to shape your life and to bring out the masterpiece that's you. And that takes faith. It takes faith to say yes to Jesus. Yes to his work on the cross, his death in your place for that grace. Saying yes in faith, I can't do it. Only thing I can do with this grace that you've given me is to surrender and say, this is your life. Make it the masterpiece you created to be before the foundations of the world. I say yes to you. Say yes to your work on the cross to get rid of the sin. Accept your forgiveness by your blood. And then follow you out of that tomb to be resurrected, to be with you now and forever. He says yes. So we've got a prayer team. I've invited them to come up. I want to encourage you more. I've actually asked a few more than we normally have. A lot of times we have our prayer team over there. If some of you would be so bold as to even come right down here, um, I'd love that. Um, for this reason, I want to challenge you. No, sure. If you're at home, I want to challenge you too. Let's don't just do church. Let's step into it because God loves us, wants to do a good, mighty work in our lives, but we have to say yes. So I don't know what it is. Maybe you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you need to say yes. I, I want you to deal with all that sin. But you might be somebody that's just kind of caught in it. It's just it's taking you further than you want to go. It's starting to move around them bases, and it's just... Uh, you need to deal with God. He says, God, I want to come and I want all that you have. And it's interesting, you might be somebody, I don't know what I need. I'm just not feeling alive like you've called me to do. I want to encourage you to come up and pray. Pray with one of our leaders. I'll be up here as well. Let's just pray. Let's go to the one person that can make us a masterpiece. And that's Jesus Christ. And we do that through prayer. We do that with brothers and sisters. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing about the resurrected life. You're going to sing about how he's robbed the grave from death and he's given us life. We have victory in him. In him, we are a masterpiece. He's calling us out. As God leads you during the song, feel free to come up and pray. Uh, Josh will close us out. Come up afterwards. I love you, North Shore, and God is doing a good work here and in you. 